Yankees Files podcast. We are back. I'm Will Harris, your Alec Whipple. And the rest of you, I hope, took a lot of positives away from the week that was for the New York Yankees. Um, they had what is potentially their worst loss of the season today, giving Garrett Cole a 6 nothing lead and then managing to blow it. But for the way that people were talking about this team as a team doomed to be a basement dweller for the entirety of the season as one that would um, flop in the face of strong competition as one that, uh, you know, needed contributions from guys who would simply never contribute and so on and so forth. And for all the doom and gloom that I saw on the Twitter timeline, I think there's a lot of positives to take away from this three and three week that the Yankees had uh, chief among them, how close it was to being a six and O week. Um, I tweeted earlier that we were going to record and um, the doomers were going to be furious with how positive I was. And I aspire to, uh, to make that come true. Whipple, how are you feeling? Uh, I know you're in the middle of finals. Um, Whipple's in law school for any listeners who don't know. Uh, so how are you feeling about the team and how are you feeling about finals? We'll ask both questions. I'm probably feeling better about the team than I am about finals. Um, so Uh-oh. <laughs> that could say, you know, I'm very optimistic about the Yankees or not feeling great about finals. But either way, I mean, yeah, it was definitely a tough end to a week. I I, I feel like this was one of those volatile weeks in, in recent Yankees history. I feel like people were riding insane highs and then hitting insane lows within the span of a few innings. And I, that just might be how it is for the foreseeable future, given, I don't know, the state of Yankees baseball, uh, people's desire to have everything fixed all at once, turn around all at once, or barring that their desire to write the team off all at once. And I think this week, didn't satisfy anyone didn't satisfy the people who wanted to see the Yankees go out and crush their opponents it didn't satisfy like you said the people who expected the Yankees to roll over and I think you got to take that you know you take the good with the bad and obviously it was not the end to the week that the Yankees wanted but they played a very competitive series against a team that has the runaway best record in baseball and I don't think by any means the Rays are untouchable I mean I think that was the biggest thing we saw like obviously you want the wins and there's less opportunities to get the wins. And I don't know how, you know, I don't know what the, the, you know, how feasible it is to come back from a 10 game deficit. I'm not saying it is over by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't really think that's like the important part right now because the Yankees are going to come back. They're going to have to start playing well in general. And it doesn't really matter specifically, you know, one game against the Rays is important, but I think the larger takeaway is that, this Yankees team is competitive against good teams. We've seen it all year. We saw it this weekend. Sometimes you lose games in a pretty sucky fashion, but I think there are things to be mad about, and I think there are things that you really shouldn't be mad about, but absolutely, this team is not what we thought, or I think what people were labeling them as you know, for the first six innings on Friday, and I think that frustrated me the most because I don't really know what's enough for people. Like, they're, you know, they won two games against Cleveland and then they fell behind early and the season was over. And yes, obviously they lost that game, but it was a lot different than the story that people were telling on Twitter. And you're not going to win every baseball game. You're not going to lead every baseball game from the beginning. And, you know, the Yankees showed that they're able to come back. They won a great game on Saturday. They really should have won today. And those 
flukes, those, you know, as you said on Twitter, shooting themselves in the foot, that's less of an indication of their talent level than I think just an indication of sometimes baseball things happen. Having said that, absolutely, I think there are reasons to criticize. Definitely things I would like to talk about that are really starting to frustrate me. But in the larger sense, this Yankees team is right there with everyone else. And, you know, we complained people complain all the time that you know it's all you just have to get to the postseason and then you win there it doesn't really matter regular season so like let's think about it you know just looking at how this team is progressing over the course of a season to get to where they need to be in october and you know they have four more games against the rays that are an eminently beatable team and they're gonna have aaron judge back based on what i saw this weekend i think the yankees are progressing towards you know that team that can be a force in October and maybe the win-loss record doesn't reflect that right now but it is absolutely not the the season's over and this team should be disbanded story that people want to march out there whenever the Yankees fall behind by like two runs in the fourth inning yeah so I have a few um a few things to say I agree with basically everything you said um this won't necessarily be in chronological order but um I'm I'm very much sold on the idea that the Yankees um how should I say this? I I want to make sure that I am holding the Yankees responsible for their failures uh while also giving them credit for what I feel like they put out there. The Yankees could have swept the Rays it didn't feel to me like it was anything the Rays did that caused them to win the series against the Yankees. Like, it was in game one, Harrison Bader popping up with uh, a runner on third and one out, and Jake Bowers making a terrible play in left field to allow the go-ahead run to score that made the difference in game one. In game two, the Yankees pitched great, and they did just enough offensively to win. In game three, they got out to a huge lead. They gave their ace a huge lead, and that's, like, the best you can do. And then they blew it, and they went one for 15 with runners in scoring position. I think they had—I mean, they only struck out six times in the game. I think they only struck out twice with runners in scoring position. They were both with two outs, so at that point, a strikeout is just as bad as any other out. Um— so, like, I don't know. The Yankees, like, it, it felt like they beat themselves, and it's disappointing to watch a team beat itself, but that's that's one of the narratives that I want to push back against. Teams, or people, people on the internet keep telling me that good teams don't beat themselves. I would argue that good teams beat themselves a lot more often than they get beat because very frequently good teams are playing inferior competition, and it's hard for inferior competition to beat them. On uh, In the first game of the Cleveland series, the Yankees beat themselves. Today, the Yankees beat themselves. On Friday, maybe the Yankees didn't beat themselves as much because Brito got them down 4 nothing, but they certainly didn't help themselves once they got back into the game. And I feel like if... like, like here, Here's the thing. The Rays, to beat the Yankees, needed the Yankees to shoot themselves in the foot repeatedly, needed the Yankees to start a kid who started, like, five games in the major leagues, needed Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton not to be in the lineup, needed Garrett Cole to have his worst start in God knows how long. Like, 
all the things that had to go right for the Rays to win these games when the Yankees were not nearly at full strength, when the guys on the field aren't playing nearly as well as almost any of them have played at any time this year, um, especially if you look at like Volpe, for example. Um, it's just insane to me that people people view this as the Yankees getting outclassed or uh, you know, the mistakes the Yankees made or the failings the Yankees showed in this series being evidence that they're a bad team. Like, no, bad teams just get beat by good teams. That's what happens. Good teams go out and they get the work done. And if the Rays were as good as I was led to believe and the Yankees were as bad as I was led to believe, the series would have looked different. I firmly, firmly believe that. It took the Rays extra innings and a monumental collapse by the best pitcher in baseball to pull out a one a plus one run differential against the Yankees over this series. There's nothing separating these teams. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I do think that, like, I give the race credit as much as I will defend Cole. Like, that's, I mean, it takes, you know, you have to hit pretty well to come back from a 6 nothing deficit against Garrett Cole. I would say the Yankees beat themselves more on Friday just because that was probably, a, you know, a game that was less likely for them to win and then they had their opportunities and let them get away. I honestly, like, I think today was just more frustrating and I, yeah, I think it's somewhere in the middle. Like I don't, I mean, that's probably like the most optimistic version. And I do think there's merit to that. Like my thing is the teams at their core are roughly similar. I think the Yankees, there's nothing that showed me like, honestly, the Yankees looked worse. What was it? Last September in those first two games at Tropicana Field. If the Yankees came out, and I guess it kind of looked like they were going to do that for the first few innings on Friday, but if that was, you know, the the beginning of that series, the middle of that series, if that was what the Yankees did all weekend, then, yeah, that's being outclassed. These were very competitive games, and, you know, you have to give credit to the Rays for winning the games. Like, I think, you know, they could have swept, but they lost two of three. So, like, you do have to win the games, but... Again, I think in looking at what this team can do, you know, without some of its best guys, like this is I we've talked a few times about, you know, best case scenarios, 99th percentile outcomes, like your 2021 Giants, 2019 Yankees. This seems to be what the Rays are trending towards right now. And yeah. it's really improbable for that to last. Like they're already coming back to earth. Um, it, It's just improbable for a whole season for everyone to suddenly have a career best year. Maybe it'll happen, but... I'd rather bet on the odds of it not happening. And, you know, whether that means the Yankees can come back from a 10-game deficit, I don't really think that's the point. I think the point is this weekend, they sh- the, the talent levels of these teams and the way they were playing was roughly similar. And the Rays, yes, they did more to win multiple games. But if you're, te- yeah, like you said, if you sit back and say they got outclassed, this team is a disaster versus like there are things that went wrong in different games that led to the losses and you know I think people might have that opinion if there was you know one game difference between them in the standings versus a 10 you know and that shows you based on me being able to say that that that's probably more accurate like if the way the people I guess my point is if the way people are viewing the Yankees is based on their division deficit and that's influencing the way that people are interpreting these games they're watching them every single play in the game is, you know, the reaction is being colored by the fact that there's a 10-game deficit, that's probably not very good analysis. I think you need to objectively look at what these two teams are doing, and it's a lot closer than I think it appears. Yes, the Rays are getting it done, and the Yankees, for the most part, haven't gotten it done as much, but 
I would say, like, from the rest of the season, I would be more surprised if the Yankees had a worse record than the Rays. I would be, like, yeah, I would I expect that. that records to be either similar or for the Yankees to be better. And, you know, it again, it takes a lot for a 10-game deficit to be made up. But it just doesn't really – it doesn't make sense to me that people are viewing the talent gap between these teams as 10 games – and it shows me you're not really watching what's on the field. You know, you're watching specific plays and then overreacting based on what you're already, you know, thinking. Yeah. I mean, it's just like you can look at any of the metrics for the Rays and see that things are going unsustainably well for them. Like, it's, I mean, just go down the list. Harold Ramirez, Josh Lowe, Taylor Walls, even Wander Franco, Luke Raley, um, Isak Paredes. Uh, like, a number of these guys just quite clearly are not the hitters that they've, uh, that they've been to this point this year. They have four guys currently posting BABIPs of 360 or higher. Um, like, that, that doesn't happen. Uh you know, it's 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 silly what a lot of what's going on for the Rays. Um, I think like you know they'll get Glassdow back, and that's great. But um, you know it's great for them. But a number of their hitters are going to regress. They don't have Jeffrey Springs. Uh, the Yankees got to a number of their pitchers, frankly. Um, I I agree. the The Rays are off to an incredible start. Those wins count. But the idea that uh, that they are like a, a vastly better team or unbeatable or, you know, any of those things. I think the fact that this iteration of the Yankees, one that started Johnny Brito and Domingo Herman, neither of whom are in the postseason rotation, one that was without Aaron Judge, that was without um, Giancarlo Stanton, that was resting Harrison Bader, that uh, doesn't have Oswald Peraza, that still started Aaron Hicks and IKF in multiple games because that's the, you know, current state of the roster. Like it's, if this, if this is the performance that that Rays team gave against that Yankees team, I'm just not very scared of the Rays or the Yankees are really freaking good because this version, this current state of that team just did what they did against the Rays and, you know, came within a hair's breadth of uh, winning the series and even of sweeping them. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Like, we've seen the Yankees look really bad against Rays pitching, and they just didn't mm -hmm. look— I mean, yeah, I get today there was multiple failures with runners at scoring position, but for the most part, I mean, this Yankees team You don't hit put better. up seven runs by put, having a bad offensive performance. Like, right. I think this Yankees, team, this Yankees team hit better this weekend than they had in, like, two weeks, and— I mean, I think Bader is a huge part of that. Like, I think having him in the lineup is huge. But, like, even the guys who, you know, we were expecting to hit well and haven't hit well started hitting well again. I mean, it just was a more complete yep. offensive performance against a pitching staff that, you know, is supposed to be, like, the bane of the American League. I, I'm i just not – yeah, I, I'm not impressed. And I usually – honestly, I usually am more impressed with the Rays, and I really wasn't. Like, and that's – I'm usually the person on this podcast who says the Rays are inevitable, and I, I guess I felt like that. And then I watched some of these games. I'm like, I really don't feel like that. I don't know. The Yankees have played much worse in Tropicana Field with much better teams. Yeah, no, they absolutely have. And, uh, you know, they're going to get 
Aaron Judge back on Tuesday when he's eligible to come off the IL. Harrison Bader's been a monster since he returned. Um, DJ LeMay, he was hitting the ball hard. He hasn't necessarily been getting the results yet, but you have to like what you see. Um, Glaber had a multi-hit game today with an extra base hit. Rizzo went yard, walked a number of times. Uh, Oswaldo Cabrera, we saw walk and get multiple hits, including an extra base hit. Like, there's just a lot to like, man. And, um, you know, Judge coming back, the series against Oakland, hopefully both of those should be, um, you know, nice kind of opportunities to to reset and recharge for this team. And then they're going to host the Rays for a bunch more games at Yankee Stadium. And, uh, you know, hopefully those games are going to go pretty freaking well. Um, Whipple, one thing that a lot was made about this week was Aaron Boone's use or not use of the bullpen. And that started when Domingo Herman took a shutout into the ninth inning in the first game against Cleveland. Um, he allowed a hit and then Boone brought Clay Holmes into the game and ultimately Holmes blew the game. Um, I have some thoughts about the manner in which that happened and, uh, Holmes blew the game. The Yankees lost. Uh, they couldn't score off class a in the bottom of the ninth. Um, and a lot of people put that loss on Boone and I'm interested in your thoughts about Boone taking Herman out in that situation on Boone going to Holmes in that situation on the way that the Yankees lost the game. Like just, Talk me through your reactions to the way that game went. So I think my first thing is that I don't have a problem with taking out Herman. I think we have seen, well, I specifically remember a game um, at Fenway in 2021 when Herman had a no hitter was left in yep. and people criticized Boone for leaving him in. And I think it's like, mm -hmm. it's having a quick hook is never a bad thing. Um, I mean, sometimes, you know, you want to leave your pitcher in like we saw today. I don't know. I I don't want to go too far into the other games. I think there was a lot of pitching change-related controversy this week. But, you know, sometimes there are situations in which, like, it's more understandable of certain pitchers. I don't have a problem with taking Herman out. I think it was very clear he was batter to batter. I think you don't want to push your luck. And I don't have a problem with that at all. I probably would have brought in Michael King. And I think... My one of my pet peeves is when pitchers warm up and then don't get used or repeatedly warm up and don't get mm -hmm. used. And that seems to happen quite a few times. Um, that seems to have happened quite a few times recently. Um, Michael King was warming in pretty much every inning before the ninth and didn't come in. And I think like if you're going to keep him, get him warm, like why not just bring him in? I don't think that Michael King has been you can't say he's been worse than Clay Holmes like I get Holmes might be your closer, but just use King and, and don't, you know, burn the extra armor. Like I know King didn't pitch, but you're still making preparations to pitch. It's, it's not like he had a complete day off is what I'm saying. And and this year, I mean, we've seen, he, I think he's clearly after this week, although Holmes had a, a few bounce back outings, but I think Michael King is probably the most trusted guy in that bullpen right now. So I guess that's my issue. And then at that point, I don't think, you know, I think most people are criticizing Boone more for taking Herman out and, some people were saying King should have went in, but I don't think the takeaway is that 
there shouldn't have been a reliever in there. I think the takeaway is maybe it wasn't the right reliever. And then, you know, that's nitpicking. Okay, wait. So let's talk about let's talk about that. D okay, yeah, I agree it's nitpicking. So my my biggest issue I actually have I have two similarly sized issues with the way that people reacted to the way that ninth inning went. So Herman strikes out Miles Straw and allows a single to Stephen Kwan. Herman gets bit by allowing home runs like all the time. Like he has the highest home run rate of like basically any pitcher since 2022. Um, he does it way too much. So with the tying run coming up in the form of Ahmed Rosario, Boone goes to Holmes. Rosario hits a weak ground ball. Holmes fails to field it, uh, makes an error, um, and that puts two runners on with one out instead of Quan at second with two outs, which is what it should have been. Um, Then Jose Ramirez gets a clean single to left. Fine. Josh Naylor... Then hits a hard ground ball. He hit it hard. But the reason it got through, the reason it got past Peraza is because Peraza was playing at double play depth because there was only one out because of the error that Holmes made. If Peraza is playing at normal depth for the left-handed batter nailer, that's the last out of the game. You have runners on like first and third and uh, that's the last out of the game. And it's like, it's it's just brutal because Holmes got contact that if he himself had made an easy defensive play, would have ended the game. And then he got blamed for blowing it. But what I think, and what I got like crucified for saying on Twitter, which was ridiculous, is, um, so Holmes leaves the game with runners on second and third and one out. Wandy Peralta walks Josh Bell, which is fine. It sets up the double play, strikes out Andres Jimenez swinging, and then Mike Zanino, who has been awful, walks. Wandy Peralta walked half the guys he faced, including forcing in the go-ahead run with a walk, and people were blaming Clay Holmes, who got a bunch of ground balls, for the way that the game ended. And I... I take issue with that. The thing that relievers can't do is come in and walk guys. Holmes got the kind of contact he needed to get. He obviously should have made the play. So on the Rosario ball. So in that way, it's on him. But the idea that the runs that scored against Clay Holmes are evidence that Clay Holmes was the wrong move is first of all, ridiculous. And second of all, ignores that he got the two ground balls he was asked to come in to get and a fielding error, albeit an error by him, but a fielding error that had nothing to do with his pitching is the reason that the game didn't end. And I, it just really bothers me that people don't acknowledge that and then give Wandy, who walked half the guys he faced, to allow the winning run to score a free pass. I don't So like what do you it. think about when? I feel like the conversation with about Monday also can encompass Wednesday, too. Or which day? Was it Wednesday? Yeah, it was Wednesday. Um because that, I guess, you know, Clay Holmes coming out with two outs in the ninth and giving up the go-ahead run. I think people l- are lumping these in together. And that, I mean, I get, like, there's the same weak contact. I just think, like, if we're going to talk about pitching moves, if we want to talk about pitching moves, I think that was the more inexcusable move by Boone. So, 
I you sent me a text, or maybe you sent it in the group chat with Matt. Um, when the Yankees, um, when Boone came out and took out Marinaccio after I think it was five outs, um, and brought in Holmes to face Straw, and you said it feels like overmanaging. Um. Now, there are a couple things that I feel about this. Um, the first being, like, Straw's ball should have been caught. Uh, IKF got to the ball and then closed his eyes and missed it. So he both failed to catch the ball and failed to keep Straw at first base because he just terribly misplayed it. So in that case... Again, Holmes came in and got the ball he needed to get to get the Yankees out of the inning in a tie game and failed to do it. So, like, the the, the defense in this case, not his defense, uh, as it was in Monday's game, but IKF's defense, um, blew that. And then he got the bloop um, off the bat of Oscar Gonzalez that IKF thought he should concuss Harrison Bader instead of allowing Harrison Bader to catch the ball. Um, and that's what gave the Guardians the lead. And ultimately, it didn't matter because Willie Calhoun tied the game in the ninth and Trevino walked it off in the tenth. But I I mean, I really, honestly, I agree that it was over-managing. Like, it, it felt weird to take Marinaccio out of that situation. But... I absolutely did not think that, like, going to Clay Holmes was bad as, like, a matter of, hey, we have to get this right-handed batter out. Would you like to get him out? Or that Clay did anything other than what he's supposed to do, which is generate catchable balls. Like, I, it just bothers me so much when people hold pitchers responsible for BABIP on, like, non-barrels. If you're effectively managing quality of contact and balls are falling in, I have a lot of trouble faulting you for that. If you're getting, you know, if everyone's hitting the ball 110 miles an hour, line drives, that's a different story. But that Clay Holmes has to be the scapegoat or that Aaron Boone even has to be the scapegoat for IKF just making a terrible defensive play and following it up with another terrible defensive play, that doesn't make sense to me. I know who I blame in that game, IKF. No, I, I absolutely blame IKF. I still think it was overmanaging. I think it's it's an I don't necessarily disagree with you, but yeah, like we are assuming that this like if if Ron Marinaccio gets uh straw to hit the same ball and then gets Gonzalez to hit the same ball, people are blaming IKF. Yeah. Like Probably. people are only blaming Boone or blaming Holmes because Boone changed something. But there's nothing to say that Marinaccio wouldn't have gotten the Guardians to hit the same balls and the same thing would have happened. Like, it's not like Holmes came in and gave up a homer. That's the thing that bothers me. Holmes came in and got balls that should have been caught. I, 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 and a converted catcher playing the outfield, which is a different problem and something that the Yankees should be held responsible for, um... Failed to make the play. I feel like that's a different thing than making a pitching decision and having and choosing the wrong pitcher, you know? And I feel like I'm proven right 
in my not being that mad about the way he used Clay Holmes in the Cleveland series by the way Clay Holmes was used and performed in the Tampa series where they brought him in to face the best hitters in Tampa's lineup and he got them out. Yeah, I don't feel like I've been mad at Clay Holmes. Like I sure. I feel like I've been mad at Boone for the decisions and annoyed, you know, with the fielding. I mean, if you want to talk about the fielding, I think that's unequivocally the thing I'm most frustrated with. The thing objectively that the Yankees should take massive blame for. One other thing though before I talk about that, I just don't like how Boone Boone's reaction is that Clay Holmes was coming in anyway. I don't know. Like it just feels so weird to be like I mean, I don't know. You know, if he had said something similar to what you said, like he, I mean, I guess that throws IKF under the bus and Boone can't throw anyone under the bus. But if Boone had Mm -hmm. said like he got the contact he needed, like I don't think it's a problem with Holmes. Like basically what you just said, it's just the way Boone talks about these things. Like I know it doesn't really make a big difference, but it's just such a weird way of like characterizing like instead of saying I thought he was the right guy like saying like you know he's just coming in to face Miles Straw like I don't I didn't necessarily get that um but in terms of mm-hmm. the fielding I think it's it's absolutely insane like in freaking sane that IKF is now basically an everyday outfielder I mean at all positions like how is this what does he add to this team I we're, Aaron Hicks should be right there but like Aaron Hicks is one positive thing is that he has a history of playing in the outfield uh you know he plays it poorly but like at least he's played out there IKF has never played out there and suddenly he's starting in left right and center and it's hurting the team in very tangible ways like you said those were extremely catchable balls he's putting people at risk he's hurting people I mean the other you know the other day when he basically almost collided with Hicks and and left and center field like maybe it's not IKF's fault Like, he shouldn't be playing out there. A converted catcher who now suddenly is an outfielder. I mean, he's barely played the infield this year. The fact that Cabrera was playing in the infield today and IKF is playing in the outfield is just boggles my mind that the Yankees feel this is acceptable. And it's just, like, that is unequivocally a failure of the way this team was constructed. Like, no matter who it was, they should have gotten another outfielder. And... I don't want to be the guy who's like they, you know, because everybody on Twitter is the guy who says they should have gotten X, Y, and Z, and you know that everything was a failure in the offseason. I don't think the offseason was a failure at all, but I think one more outfielder should have been competing for the job in spring training, and it shouldn't have been somebody at the level of Willie Calhoun and Rafael Ortega. It should have been somebody who can take Aaron Hicks off this team and play, actually play in the outfield. I mean. I don't know what happens when Judge comes back, but like this, as long as IKF is on this team, they seem to think it's acceptable for him to be seeing time in the outfield, and like that's insane. I don't know, like I don't really have any other way to say it. Like he looks some like every catch he makes out there, the ones that look good are mostly because he's like out of position and trying to get balls that he really should have had a better read on. Like part of it, it's not his fault, but like why? the Yankees think this is acceptable he has no value with the bat and like if you're gonna have bad fielding just you know play Bowers out there because at least he's hitting yeah so I mean I think there are a number of things here um first I don't agree that the team was necessarily like constructed incorrectly like all the people who are saying like you have to expect everyone to get injured like, I don't 
I don't really know about that. And um, I, th- I think I think the decisions they've made about the way they deploy the people they have are weirder than the decisions they made about who to have. And I think that's borne out by the fact that, you know, what we didn't see early in the year when even without Bader, when Judge and Stanton were healthy and when they were riding Cordero's hot hand as, um, you know, a guy they trusted to play the outfield, which like wasn't that good an idea. But um, we didn't see IKF and Aaron Hicks playing a bunch. It took Aaron Judge getting hurt, Giancarlo Stanton getting hurt, Franchi Cordero falling off the face of the earth, Willie Calhoun proving he can't play defense out there, um, Jake Bowers being a defensive liability in this series and, um, like a situation where they needed LeMahieu to play first base because, um, they were giving Rizzo a day at DH and they put Cabrera at third, which I agree is weird because if you're going to play IKF, you could just play him at third, but like. And Peraza was on the bench, but obviously not really available by the way that they used him in the Tampa series or more appropriately didn't use him. Like it took a lot of weird, bad stuff to happen to get to the point where only for a few days we are seeing Aaron Hicks and IKF play a lot of baseball like it. It it, a lot of weird stuff had to happen. That's just that's just true. That's just factual. Um, and when Aaron judge comes back and when Oswald Peraza is healthy, then I think you hardly ever see Oswaldo Cabrera playing the infield. I think you never see an outfield that has both Hicks and IKF in it. Um, I mean, somebody has to go down when judge comes back and it's certainly not going to be Willie Calhoun. Um, I don't I I don't know that it would be Jake Bowers because you can't option him and the Yankees hate losing options or they hate the Yankees hate, you know, DFA guys and losing them. So that makes you think, well, it has to be IKF or Peraza or Cabrera and IKF is so bad that as bad as Cabrera has been and as bad offensively as Peraza has been like it just can't be either of those guys and look I don't know but like constructing your roster such that IKF is a bench piece if you expect to get an 85 WRC plus out of him and you truly think you can play him which maybe you shouldn't think at four or five positions that's like not a terrible idea the problem with IKF is when he starts, um, you know, Aaron Hicks, his own issue. Um, but like we, we talked about it earlier in the year when the team was the way the team was supposed to be. Those guys weren't playing even for part of the time that the team was without Stanton. And while Franchi Cordero was truly awful, those guys weren't playing. It's taken a, an unfortunate confluence of things to get those guys the playing time that they've gotten. And I think we're probably coming toward the end of it. And look, I, and that gets me to the point of the way they've deployed the resources is weirder than the resources that they put on the team. 
IKF shouldn't be an outfielder when Oswaldo Cabrera exists. It doesn't make sense. Oswaldo Cabrera is a good outfielder. IKF is a bad outfielder. Oswaldo Cabrera is a good infielder. IKF is a serviceable third baseman. If you're putting one of them at third base and one of them in the outfield, it doesn't make any sense that IKF would be the one in the outfield. Like, that stuff's all true. But, um, man, yeah, it's just... I, I don't believe that the construction is the problem. I think that the deployment is the problem, and I think that the team has actually performed pretty well in the time that they've been charged with staying afloat um, while Judge is hurt, and I'm excited for Judge to be back and to solve a number of the problems that have arisen both with construction and deployment, I think is the way I'll say it. Yeah, no, that I, I do agree with that because, like, the way Oswald Peraza was used, even when he was healthy, was, like, absolutely insane. And the way that Oswaldo Cabrera has been cycled through, I think my, my, my issue is that they – they're, you don't have to play Aaron Hicks and IKF as much as they're playing them. It would just require the other guys to play more, and the Yankees aren't going to do that. Like, I think it's I, – I think, yeah, I think it's two things. I think Aaron Hicks is just an absolute problem and should not be on this team, and I think Agreed. IKF should be, you know, the, the bench player that we envision him to be. So I guess, like, I feel like that stuff can still happen while people are out, and maybe I'm just, like, not looking at it correctly, but, like – there's just no reason that Aaron Hicks and IKF have to be sharing time in an outfield. I mean, play Bowers every day, like play Calhoun, you know, every day. Like I play Peraza every day. I feel like that's the biggest thing. Like Oswaldo Cabrera, like well, even I, though I, he's not I don't hitting. Think, I don't think the Peraza thing is fair. I think it's it's very clear. There are a million situations that they would have brought Peraza into in the Tampa series if he were healthy. I think it's very clear that whatever he did when he was stealing that base against Cleveland is still bothering him and that it's not IL worthy. And it's not like they have any position players to bring up. Right. Um, but why is he not playing every day? I mean, that's my no, issue. Like 10 of 17 games before he had the, the leg issue. Oh, it's because they don't, they, so, okay. So this is actually a thing that I have been railing against on Twitter and I'd be interested to get your opinion on it. Cause I don't know how much we've really discussed this. I don't think anyone who has ever said the Yankees need more balance in their lineup from a righty-lefty perspective can get mad when the Yankees don't start Peraza. Because what you're saying, if you're saying that the Yankees have been too right-handed, is that if the Yankees put in Peraza, they need to take out a right-handed bat. Otherwise, they're too right-handed. So who do you want them to take out? Your options are Bader, Glaber, Volpe, DJ. It's not like Peraza is going to play catcher. Like, like th th this is the thing. I agree that Peraza should be playing as much as possible, but I agree with that because I don't care about um, just optimizing for the conventional platoon advantage, especially with guys like Oswald Peraza who don't have crazy platoon splits in their right. career. They obviously don't want him to play very much against right-handed starters. And I don't know what they know or what they've seen or why they're doing that, but that's the position they've taken. I don't, maybe they're listening to all the genius Twitter GMs who said the Yankees were too right-handed. Like I, I don't know. That could be like that. It, it, it just, it bothers me so much that people who were saying the Yankees are too right-handed are now the people who are saying, Oh my God, I can't believe the Yankees aren't starting this kid who's right-handed. Like what? 
you, you can't have it both ways. And this is, it's the same people that I was calling out the other week about, oh my gosh, the Yankees need to play the kids. I wish the Yankees would just play the kids. Oh my gosh, the kids aren't hitting. Why do all our prospects bust? Like, I just, there are so many people that I can't stand and the Peraza handling situation has highlighted a number of them. Right. I I think I agree that the Yankees, it is in their best interest to acquire maybe a left-handed bat, but with the current state of the team, I'm not advocating for the better righty hitters to sit over lefties. Like I think per I think Peraza should play and I don't really care about handedness. I think at this point you just want to have your best guys on the field. I think the larger issue for me is that they clearly don't trust him as a player and like we know what that means. I don't think we know that. I don't, I don't th- know. I don't think we know that at all. Um, I I'm not optimistic based on how he was used last year, based on what's happened this year. I mean like, it's so clear when, to me. You, you think that when he was called up as a 22-year-old last year... Um, yes, because look at Volpe right And now. then started in playoff games, that that was evidence that they didn't believe in him? No, I'm saying... When I'm he saying supplanted with, IKF, when he and Oswaldo Cabrera both supplanted IKF? I don't really... I wouldn't call it supplanting IKF when the, the starting shortstop job was basically passed back and forth during the playoffs. And it took some pit, pretty back-breaking errors in Game 3 of that ALDS for them to actually switch. I think it's insane that he wasn't getting more playing time. Look at how they've handled Volpe. They've thrown him right into the fire. Why is that not how Peraza should have been treated slash should be treated right now? I think it's very clear that there's a difference in perception. I mean, I hate to say it, but like we've seen this time and time again, the Yankees will use guys differently. Based I feel on like their confidence. I feel like you're likening the Peraza situation to like Estevan Florial. No, and I don't agree with that at all. I'm likening it to like a Jesus Montero type situation where it's like you clearly don't want this guy to catch. But they didn't give they didn't give Montero any run like they they gave him the flash and then traded him. Right. I, it's I not mean, like Montero the- showed up to spring training the next year with the potential of being the starting catcher. Oswald right. Peraza, as far as I can tell, had just as good a shot in spring training as Anthony Volpe at being the starting shortstop. And he didn't get it. And, you know, as bad as Volpe has been offensively, striking out like 30% of the time and uh, with an 86 WRC plus, first of all, he's been a little bit better relative to the league than IKF was last year. But second of all, like, I understand Peraza hasn't gotten regular at bats, but he's been better than Peraza has. Um, like, I just, I don't know. I, I think that, what you're interpreting as the Yankees not believing in Oswald Peraza, I might be interpreting as the Yankees thinking Oswald Peraza is a shortstop. And if the other plate appearances for Oswald Peraza would have to come at third base at the expense of DJ LeMahieu, second base at the expense of Glaber Torres, or DH at the expense of Willie Calhoun, who they're obviously trying to get into games and who's been very productive for the last week or so, like, where do you expect Peraza's plate appearances to come from? Like, so if we're going to sacrifice defense, then why not just put Willie Calhoun in the field, even if he sucks defensively? Because at this point, it'd be a. But where like, are the Yankees sacrificing infield defense? That's what I'm not getting. I'm just no. I'm just saying, put Calhoun in the field. DH one of one of the infielders. I mean, the fact that third base is wide open with Donaldson, like we haven't even thought about what's going to happen when Donaldson comes back. Yeah, DJ Lemayhew's going to play third base. And is Peraza just going to get sent down then? Maybe. I don't know. 
I don't like, know. I, I mean, <laughs> I think I think Oswald Peraza, in as much as you want to paint him as the victim of like the Yankees not believing in him, I think he might be the victim of the Yankees having a better shortstop prospect and a pretty solid infield. Like Oswald Peraza, for all of his virtues as a player, should not be a major league DH. And frankly, DJ LeMahieu and Glaber Torres both field their positions very well. And I, it's not at all clear to me that if those guys are going to be 115, 120 WRC plus bats, it's not at all clear to me that if Oswald Peraza were playing their position and giving them, even let's give him the benefit of the doubt, let's say better defense and a league average hitter, versus then you move those guys to DH, I think you're making compromises at multiple lineup spots. And I agree that right now, with the state of the team, it feels weird for Peraza not to be playing more. But again, we know he was hurt in this series. And, like, it's just... I don't know. I I think Peraza is much more a victim of the Yankees having strengths where he is strong or guys they're investing in where they would invest in him more so than the Yankees not believing in him. Then that's a problem with roster construction because is it? that you have basically no outfielders right now and you have a glut of infielders. And we've seen it, and I know Judge and Stanton are back, but if this outfield depth thins out very quickly as opposed to the infield depth, I mean, maybe somebody should have been traded for, you know, like maybe he should have been traded for someone. I mean, I don't think that's like the, the Band-Aid solution, but it's just, I, I mean, it's just frustrating that the we keep coming back to a problem know, that we faced Oswaldo last Cabrera year. They into an outfielder. So why not make Peraza into an outfielder? I mean, because maybe... Peraza's <laughs> the best defensive shortstop in the organization. Right. Like, so I... you have a shortstop prospect who can't play shortstop. I mean, I just don't know where this goes from here. Like, why not just let him play third base and let, I don't know, cycle through, you know, let at least let him be playing once a day and try Willie Calhoun in the outfield. I think my issue is they're, they're, we're focusing on defense as an important part of the team, which I agree it is, but then you allow IKF to basically learn outfield on the fly. Like, I'd rather have Willie well, Calhoun for as bad that. as he is. It's not a choice between Peraza playing and IKF playing the outfield. Well, put Willie Calhoun in the outfield then. I mean, maybe that's the solution. At least try it. I don't know. I think maybe. they're trying to, they're trying to have everything every way and like, we're already at the point where they're undermanned, and maybe it's not an issue when Judge and and Stanton and Donaldson comes back. I mean, but... I think it's not an issue when Judge is back. Like I think Aaron Judge coming back changes so so much because even if they won't play him in center field, uh, on like the days that they give Bader off, like we know he is an option in center field. He locks down a corner spot. So that means instead of having to fill two corner spots with some combination of Bowers, Calhoun, IKF, Hicks every day, uh, Cabrera, you have to pick one of those. Cabrera, switch hitter, potentially turning things around after a multi-hit game today, is probably your number one option. You have Bowers, who they obviously like to uh, hit against righties. Maybe he can play some left field. Um like, it, you have to go a lot farther down the list to get to IKF and Hicks once Judge is back. Like, having to fill two positions with a bunch of, like, replacement level or worse guys is a lot worse than having to fill one position. And you know what? I bet they're going to DH Judge a little bit uh, when he comes back to get him off his feet. 
And maybe, you know, maybe that's an opportunity to put Calhoun in the outfield if they really want to get his bat in that badly. Like, I just think that Judge coming back is going to change so much about the lineup and how they run guys out there because he gives them security that right now they only have at two other positions, one of which kind of doesn't count being catcher. He gives them security that right now, I guess maybe they have it at first base, but even that is a little bit of a revolving door with the the DH days for LeMahieu and for Rizzo. Judge is only similar to Bader in the way that he locks down his position. And I think that is going to change things so much. And I think you are undervaluing because you could have like judge being out there means that like you could have an infield in theory, if like a meteor hit of, Peraza, Volpe, Glaber, and Oswaldo Cabrera at first base. Like it's so, <laughs> it's it's insane what he does to unlock the utility of other players by locking down that spot. So who's going down then? What judge gets back? What happens? Because that's the biggest question for me. It's it's a good question. Like um, I think my issue is I agree with all of what you're saying. I feel like my frustrations are the fact that. All it takes is one injury for these issues to keep popping up again. And I agree that, like, the bench spots aren't going to be the, you know, the top of the line players. Like, they're obviously your guys on the bench are not going to be as good. But I'm just tired of the Yankees clinging to, I mean, you know, I think everybody has the same player in mind of who should be gone when Judge gets back. I'm tired of the Yankees clinging to guys and shoving them in situations where they're just clogging things up. I think Judge absolutely frees things up. I think it is a lot different with him. But I'm just disappointed that in his absence, it you know, it's not being used to get Peraza more run. It's being used instead to play IKF in the outfield. And yeah, I, I get it will change, but like there's nothing in my mind right now that makes me think that if somebody else didn't get injured, IKF would not be back playing the outfield. I guess that's my frustration. I, I understand where you're coming from. I think, like, one question I have is... Think about the Yankees at the beginning of the year. They were without Harrison Bader, um, but they were playing Judge in the outfield. They were playing Stanton in the outfield. They were playing Cabrera in the outfield. Like, neither neither right, IKF nor Hicks was anything more than the fourth outfielder. Right, but Stanton is not playing the outfield. Okay, again. but I mean, I'm even sorry, if he I think doesn't, like, you still have a situation where Cabrera probably is a full-time outfielder, Bader is a full-time outfielder, Judge is a full-time outfielder. Now there's Bowers, who I don't think either of us thinks will be DFA'd. Um, there's Willie Calhoun. Like, look, and you know what? I'm going to say this, and you're not going to like it, but what has Oswald Peraza done in 2023 to justify his roster spot? No, I. this is not... Yeah, I I understand agree. he hasn't been given the chance that many of us would like to see him given, but... In the run he got in spring training, he did nothing to make the argument that he should be on the team over Anthony Volpe. In the run that he's gotten at the major league level this year, small as it's been, he's done nothing to suggest that he should be anything more than a bench player. Now, there are guys who have been worse than he has at other positions, 
which is a problem all its own, but like it's not the end of the world to me, except in that IKF and Hicks will still be on the team. It's not the end of the world to me if Oswald Peraza is the one option when Judge comes back because they can't they either aren't willing to or haven't been able to find a way to use him at the major league level. And in the times that he's been used in spring and now, he hasn't produced. So I know we all want to believe in what we've seen from Oswald Peraza and what he did last year and, you know, his sure-handed defense and all of that. And I like that about him. And I think that makes him a valuable player. And if the Yankees didn't have DJ LeMahieu and Glaber Torres, I would be really, you know, pounding the table that he should be playing. But I think that's a lot harder for me to justify when, like, he he doesn't really, hasn't really brought a lot of what it was said he would bring this year. And I don't know, like, it, I would like the Yankees to have better options in the outfield, but I would argue that the Yankees' biggest problem in the outfield is Oswaldo Cabrera's massive regression from last year and doubling his ground ball rate and less that the Yankees didn't go into the year with viable options. Like, in the same way that we caution people against buying too much into the Rays having their 99th percentile outcome for, like, every player, I would caution people against the, you know, buying into the fact that the Yankees have had, like, 10th percentile outcomes from a lot of their players. Like, I don't think Oswaldo Cabrera is a 38 WRC-plus hitter. I don't think you think that either. So, like, if if we believe that he's league average or a little better than, like, he was last year, that helps solve the outfield problem. Like, so much of what we're seeing with this team is a function of guys not playing to the level that they ought to play at or that you can reasonably believe they'd play at. And that's why you end up in situations like this where you're pounding the table for 64 WRC plus Oswald Peraza to be starting every day. Like I'm, I'm disappointed with the way that they've deployed their resources. I said that, but I don't know. Like, Guys who should be better being better would solve a lot more of these teams' problems than getting a 23-year-old who, frankly, like didn't really hit Major League Pitching all that hard last year and got some good batted ball luck a bunch more run. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I can't look at Oswald Peraza's numbers and say that he is, you know, lit, the, lit anything on fire. I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, in, in general, like that's, you know, the solution, I think. And you just the guys to play better who should be playing better. And I mean, you know, I think we we all know that Peraza like, will be going. Don't down. you think it would be don't you think it would be a lot harder for Aaron Hicks and IKF to get the run they've gotten in the outfield if Oswaldo Cabrera was making himself an inextricable piece in the outfield? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like that <laughs> But and I think that's what a lot of us thought was going to happen, and I don't blame the Yankees for right. thinking I, it. I do think that we were leaning a little too heavily on, you know, not protecting against any regression from Cabrera. I think that I guess the frustration, and not to say that I don't believe in Cabrera. I don't know. Judge and Bader went into spring healthy right. too. Like that's no. I I think know. it's just frustrating because. 
the way that they are the way that they use Volpe and Cabrera is just a lot different than the way they use Peraza and I just don't feel and I get the positional flexibility issues you know where they need help is not the infield it's the outfield but it's just frustrating to see you know to see IKF play out there to see Aaron Hicks play and to see, you know, even like I'd rather have Cabrera playing every day, even if he's going to go 0 for 4 with I four agree. ground balls. I would rather that happen because also Whipple, I am thinking about this. Like we know the Yankees value defense. We know that they value it in. We know that they <laughs> they assess it maybe differently than we assess it, as we saw from the IKF situation last year. But, um, you know, there was even there was a breaking point with that as well. We know the Yankees value defense to, you know, in their own way. Don't you think they, like, do you think the Yankees didn't consider how Willie Calhoun's defense would play? No. They... Do you think they just went, you know what, that guy probably can't play defense. Let's put IKF and Hicks out there. Like, that, the way that they have used Willie Calhoun makes me think if Willie Calhoun is ever playing the field, I should be very scared. <laughs> so maybe it's just why it's something about IKF that is just breaking everyone's brains. Like, they love <laughs> IKF. It's like, they just do. I I think we, we, it, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't do this whole podcast acting like we don't know that the Yankees I love know. IKF. He was their white whale for an extremely long time for reasons we don't understand. They traded Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela to get him. They stuck with him as their short, starting shortstop, despite the fact that he never hit and never played quality defense. They made him into an outfielder. Like, I think they really like his attitude, honestly. I, I really think that has a lot to do okay, with Okay, so it. then what about Aaron <laughs> like, like what about Aaron Hicks is what I want to know because I could get that. I buy that story. Oh I think I think Aaron Hicks is desperation. I like I don't they understand. they went they went as long as they could and like they they clearly don't want to play Aaron Hicks. I like I I really truly believe that. I think they have been backed into a corner where um like they're they're like we there are a lot of things we know about the Yankees. They're careful about who plays on turf. They um love to give guys rest. They ease guys back from injury. They, you know, so on and so forth. They love guys who walk. Um and they still think Aaron Hicks does that even though he doesn't anymore. Um you put all those things together, you get like some plate appearances for Aaron Hicks, but Aaron Hicks only has two more plate appearances than Willie Calhoun does in five more games. He only has six more plate appearances than Franchi Cordero. He only has seven more than Giancarlo Stanton, who has only played 13 games. Um, like Aaron Hicks has the ninth most plate appearances on this team. And within a couple weeks of Harrison Bader, you know, playing some more baseball and Willie Calhoun playing some more baseball, he'll be far down that list. I don't, I think it's, I think you're, you're clinging on to recent events. If you think that the Yankees like are really trying no, to play or they, I, they're obviously trying to play ICAP and I get, they're not trying to play Hicks, but I think at this point, like <laughs> I, I, and this is just me throwing my hands up. Like, it's really not that much money at this point. It's like 25 million. Just, just eat it. You ate it for a rod. So do you think, I, I like a lot of people on Twitter think it's a it's a money thing. Do you think it's a money thing? I don't think it's a money How? thing. I I think that the way they've used I think that the way they used Aaron Hicks 
how should I say this? I think that the A-Rod situation and the Ellsbury situation both are evidence that the Yankees will do what they can to get out of contracts that they don't want to be in. Um, they're not a team that we've seen do salary dump trades, really. I mean, maybe they did that with, like, Chase Headley after 28 or 2017. Like, was mm -hmm. that a thing? Yeah. Maybe. Um, but, like... I think after 2017, you could still like convince yourself that there was something there with Chase Headley. I think that the Yankees kind of feel like they can find a lane where Aaron Hicks works. And he doesn't. But, like, look, even good Yankees teams kept trying to convince us that guys who were bad were good. With, like, all the teams of the 2000s, it was pitchers. Um and Joe Torre was trying to convince us that they were good, whether it was like Scott Proctor leading the league in appearances or, you know, any of the guys that they went out and got from Pavano to Wright to Igawa to 45-year-old Randy Johnson, who was like pretty good and then not good to, you know, the, the rotation that they put together in 2009 behind those top three, like, even the best Yankee teams are lousy with guys who aren't good, who they keep trying to tell us are good. And um, I think that that's a lot more common in baseball than people give it credit for. Like the Red Sox keep trying Bobby Dahlbeck. They do. They keep trying it. Um. This happens all over the place. Teams have a thesis about a guy and they want it to come true. And I'm sure they have some threshold where it stops being something they're willing to believe in. But like Josh Donaldson is that guy. Uh, right now, Aaron Hicks is that guy. But I think they got to be close to the breaking point. IKF is that guy. Maybe this team has more of that guy than not. But like... I also don't want a team to be super mercurial in the way it manages its players. Like I would prefer that this team be happy with what it's gotten out of Anthony Volpe than, uh, you know, ping pong him and Peraza back and forth in the starting role just to see right. who has but the like, hot hand. Okay. I, I would rather that this team invest in Oswaldo Cabrera as an everyday player than shut him down because he's had a terrible month. Like, there's maybe they're leaning too far in the long leash category, but I, right. I, 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 I think that's like an unfair comparison. I mean, Anthony Volpe is obviously even when he's not hitting, he has so much about his game that he's doing well. And like we said, like they're obviously playing the kids and like, I'd rather give the kids more rope versus like when Oswaldo Cabrera seems to be getting the same amount of rope as Aaron Hicks. Sometimes I think, the Yankees don't... Oswaldo Cabrera has, like, the third most played appearances on the team or something. He basically plays every day. Okay, fair. Okay, it's it's sixth, but he's behind Rizzo, Torres, Volpe, LeMahieu, and Judge, and he's played four more games than Judge has. He just hits at the bottom of the lineup. I, I don't think, though, that the Yankees are willing to eat as willing to eat money as you're making it out to be. Like, A-Rod was a unique situation. I think they did that out of respect to a guy who had been with them for a while and they just, you know, wanted to end it on a positive note. I mean, wait, but you brought up the A-Rod contract. What do you mean? You, you, you were the one talking about 
uh, it being $25 million that's left on the deal, and they did it for A-Rod. That was your example. Right. No, no, no. Okay. So, no, I'm saying, like, they – sorry. They should be more willing to eat the money. They did it for A-Rod. I think in the Ellsbury situation, they really should have cut bait earlier, and they kept him around, tried to get that grievance based on his lack of playing time. I, I do feel like you're right in that there are players that they – they keep around for longer than they should and try to convince us that they're good. And I mean, that's just frustrating because they're looking at the same. I mean, maybe they're looking at more than we are, but like there are basic stats that say Aaron Hicks is just having a miserable year, both surface and peripheral. You know, I, I just don't understand what they see, what lane they can find. And I know the thing that they're crazy about is keeping as much depth as possible. But after a while, I mean, I just think there are benefits to getting rid of a guy like, I would. I don't think that they should get rid of IKF. I think my issue is in how they use him. But like Aaron, if Aaron Hicks goes and catches on somewhere, I would feel the same way as I did about Sonny Gray. I would feel the same way mm-hmm. as I do about Joey Gallo, as I did about AJ Burnett. Like it's not going to work out in some places. And AJ, sorry, Aaron Hicks' contract makes that a lot harder to swing, just in the fact that nobody wants him. But okay, so at this point, like, come on. <laughs> Let's. I'm. I'm going to ask you this because I think I'm probably more bullish on this than you are. Um, over under. Uh, 11:59 p.m. on. Is the trade deadline still? Did they move it again? It's like August first. Um, I. Th- that's what I think too. But wasn't it like August seventh recently? Okay. It was. It was August second. Uh, last year. It's August 1st. So over under 3.59 p.m. Eastern on August 1st, 2023, Aaron Hicks takes his last plate appearance as a Yankee. I'm going to say so under is he – that's not his last Under is he's gone before that. Over is he's on the team after that. I think over. I mean, this team just doesn't have the outfield depth. I don't think they're going to get rid of him. Yeah, I, I don't agree. Um, well, what's the scenario? That... He's released? Like, when is it going to happen? I, I yeah, guess I want to I... know what's the triggering event. So, I think there are a number of things that could happen. Um, I think Oswaldo Cabrera's struggles could, you know, Oswaldo could kind of, you know, find more form than he's found thus far but still be struggling in July and the Yankees make a move for an outfielder. Um, and Oswaldo then gets to be his true super utility and that makes Hicks irrelevant. Uh, this is again, assuming Stanton is back. Um, I think uh, Jason Dominguez and or Everson Pereira could start to put pressure on the outfield situation by this time or by that time this year in the way that Cabrera did last year. Um, and that could get rid of Hicks. Um, like, cause you have to start thinking about at, at that point, you start thinking about the bench, right? And you think about what Cabrera brings to the table and what Hicks brings to the table and what IKF brings to the table and what, you know, the lefty outfielder that they might be carrying at the time brings to the table. And then you have your backup catcher. So, IKF, they like that he can play a number of positions. They like that he can pinch run. They like that he can steal bases. They like that he can bunt. I expect him to stay around. Oswaldo Cabrera, they like that he's a switch hitter. They like that he can play literally any position on the field. They like that he can play shortstop. Um, 
So I think they keep him around. Uh, whatever lefty outfielder they have, they like to have that platoon bat. Um, I think they keep that guy around. So what is Aaron Hicks, who is a worse outfield defender than Oswaldo Cabrera, also a switch hitter, so that's neutral at best, um, not hitting for any power anymore, slower than Cabrera and IKF, um, not providing you the platoon advantage of a Willie Calhoun or whoever the Willie Calhoun of that portion of the year is, what is he bringing to the table? And so, I think if if that situation arises where they go out and get someone or one of the kids, um, st- one of the you know next kids starts to really push for a spot, uh, or even like Cole Calhoun could do that. Um, I think that's when you ask yourself. I think the way the Yankees handle that situation, assuming roster health, will tell you a lot about if they care about making the optimal decision, which would be letting Aaron Hicks go. And I think a lot of people have been trying to say that you can tell from the way they've already handled things. I don't know that that's the case, but I have just laid out a situation in which the Yankees have an outfielder who is pushing for time or they go out and get an outfielder and someone with a more compelling case than Aaron Hicks to be on the roster is optioned or let go I think that's when you know that there's a real problem yeah I I think in my scenario which I think is very realistic is player x is on the IL and player x could be anyone because it like player x could be anyone and you know some the odds are somebody will be injured at the trade deadline and so the Yankees keep Aaron Hicks for roster depth because that's how they've been handling him for a year and honestly like I hadn't really considered what you said earlier but I kind of believe it now like I think they they do find they do believe they can find a lane for him to be successful I mean listen to Boone talk about they like him hitting a lot more from the right side rather than the left side that shows me that they're still looking for ways to find success for him. Well, you should just, use you should you shouldn't have dead weight on your roster. And I understand that a lot of us would consider Hicks dead weight at this point, but if they're carrying a guy on the roster and right now like I don't know who you'd replace him with, it would be Cole Calhoun, I guess. Um Right now, if you don't want to just say Aaron Hicks is dead weight, you have to be looking for ways to use him. So, of course, Aaron Boone is going to say, yeah, we think maybe he's going to work in this spot. Like, you know, you know, Aaron Boone by this point, and we've gone on way too long. You know, Aaron Boone by this point, you know, that's how he's going to talk about guys. I mean, all I'm saying is that, yeah, like, I agree, but like, it's just very realistic to me that there is a scenario which, you know, there's not nobody's healthy at the same time. And Hicks just stays around. I mean, we've seen it so far. Like, do you think the last thing I'll ask is, do you think if Bader was healthy for opening day, Hicks would have been on the team? Because I, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like here, he let me probably would have. Let me let me draw up the roster. Um, so on opening day, the position players were Rizzo, Glaber, DJ, Volpe, Donaldson, catcher. Catcher, Cabrera, Judge, Hicks, IKF, Cordero. Mm-hmm. That's only twelve guys. Oh, I think Floreal made opening day. Yeah, then- he did. So, yes, if if Bader had been healthy, I do think Hicks would have been on the roster. But, like, I also 
like the question is not if Bader had been healthy would oh no I miss Stanton <laughs> um if Bader had been healthy I think he would have knocked Cordero off the roster but I think Willie Calhoun's grasp on a roster spot today is a lot more than um is a lot stronger than Cordero's was on opening day and I think there's a strong argument that it should be stronger than the spot that Aaron Hicks or the hold that Aaron Hicks has look I think <laughs> I I I'm gonna I've been doing the positive spin stuff for like two weeks right now because I think people need it and I think the positive spin of this podcast is the Yankees are 18 and 17 which nobody's all that happy with but they're about to play an extremely bad team Aaron Judge is coming back on Tuesday and we just spent the entire like second I don't know the entire last 60% of this podcast talking about the 12th and 13th roster spots like we are confident enough in what this team can get from the top 10 11 maybe even 12 at some point guys that we are talking about you know the guys on the fringe of being on this roster um as like the thing we are complaining about. We didn't touch once on the pitching, which was phenomenal with the exception of two innings of Garrett Cole. Um, And when like Garrett Cole having the inevitable home run get to him um, is the biggest problem you have in an entire week, like I just feel pretty good. And that's the positive spin that I'm going to start to wrap this up on. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've said it so many times, but implicitly I trust Yankees pitching and I'm not going to go out and say Garrett Cole is anything less than one of the best pitchers in baseball. And unfortunately time bad start, but yeah, like you're right. And I, I think wrapping it up, like you're, you're right in that the top of this team is good. We reminded, we're reminded of that this weekend. I mean, Harrison Bader, like not enough you can say about what he brought back to the team this last yep. week. I'm so excited that he's back. I think we saw the guys that, we've said need to hit better like the guys we know can hit better hit better and I've said it before like this has been my thoughts my thoughts about the Yankees since October of 2022 is that the only way they're going to lose is by having the guys who are bad in spots where they shouldn't be and I wish they had gotten rid of those guys I'd much rather have young players struggle than see Hicks and IKF and Josh Donaldson but as we are here right now, like I have no doubt that this team at its core is really good. They proved that this weekend. I think the challenge is getting those guys to diminish the impact that the guys that we just spent the last half hour arguing about um, can have. And, you know, even Oswald Peraza, like I'm not arguing that Oswald Peraza is ready to be, you know, he's not he's not lighting the world on fire, as I said. I wish he had been playing more, but like at the end of the day, the most successful version of this team probably doesn't have Oswald Peraza in a starting role. But it definitely doesn't have Aaron Hicks and IKF playing as much as they are. And I hope that, you know, with Judge coming back and hopefully more on the way, that finally, like, that will start to trend back to as it was in the first two weeks when they were really successful. We saw, like you said, what this team can be with them in minimal roles. And I'm st- I would still be frustrated about IKF's outfield usage, but at least it would be occurring less. And I think, you know, you just shrug your shoulders and how much they love this guy. Unfortunately. So as we wrap up your confidence in this team. I mean, this week didn't really diminish my confidence. I think this stuff I've been frustrated about for a while, and it it was definitely on full display this week. Like, I'm not going to be mad at pitching changes. I'm going to be disgruntled and annoyed in some cases, but definitely reserving my frustration for 
the, you know, as you said, the, the back end of the lineup who is getting much more playing time than they deserve to be getting. But that doesn't really affect my confidence in the team at all. My only confidence concern would be that I think these guys are still going to get more playing time than they should, but I think it's going to be less playing time than they're getting right now. I don't really think I can bring my confidence down. Like an eight is where I am. And maybe that's crazy for a you know team that's in last place, 10 games out. But like, again, this team showed a lot to really, you know, that it was really, really playing well this week. It showed a lot to, to recommend it. I think I'm really happy with a lot of things that happened this week. And I don't really feel like my confidence is, is shaken at all. It's more frustrations with things that I've been frustrated about. So I don't know if that's crazy, but I'm going to say it an eight. Yeah, I'm staying as well. I there was a I saw a lot more that I liked this week than that I didn't. They mm-hmm. were some bad batted ball luck away from and, you know, a, a fielding error by a pitcher away from sweeping Cleveland. And they were, you know, a couple plate appearances with runners in scoring position that could have gone better away from winning the series or potentially even sweeping um, Tampa if Jake Bowers makes that play in left field. The idea that I would be mad at this week, I'm mad at you know certain individual events. I'm disappointed that Garrett Cole didn't hold a six nothing lead. But for my confidence to go down, I would have to believe that like I can't trust Garrett Cole with a six nothing lead or something mm-hmm. like that. And I obviously right. don't feel that way. Um, maybe my confidence would have gone up if the Yankees had pulled out a series at the Trop, just because the vibes of that are great. But um, no, I feel very good, and I'm excited for my confidence to go up after next week when they. Um, play very well against the A's and Rays with uh, the benefit of having one Aaron James judge back. Whipple, uh, as I let you go to continue studying for your finals, uh, any parting shots from you on this episode? Yeah, I was, um, I'm hoping to make my first appearance at the stadium a week from today Uh and yeah, potentially seeing, I wished it was Luis Severino. It will unfortunately probably be Clark Schmidt the way the pitching rotation shakes out, but um, stay tuned on that because, um, you know, I have a history of extremely good luck at Yankees games <laughs> oh, and that gosh. having said that, maybe I shouldn't go to the game, but, yeah, maybe you um, shouldn't. yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, I hope to be seeing the final game of a four game sweep and I'm pretty confident that I will be, um, calling my shot right now. I love that. Um, well, as we wrap up here, people know they can find all of our content on yankeesfiles.com. They can follow us on Twitter where we're at Yankees Files. They can even follow us on TikTok where we are at Yankees Files Podcast. Uh, the podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. We hope you will uh, rate it, maybe leave a review, maybe uh, subscribe. We love when you download it. Uh, listen to it like 50 times, even if it's just like on silent on 10x speed. Uh, you know, that all helps us out. And uh, we'll be back. Well, I'm going to the Taylor Swift concert on Sunday. So I don't know if we'll be back necessarily same time, same place next week. But we'll be back in about a week to recap uh, Aaron Judge's return and everything that went with it. And until then, let's go Yankees. Yankees.